about a day or two after I asked him to put a, about a four to five minute PowerPoint together for us, he came back and he said, now how long did you ask that thing to be? I said, four to five minutes. And he said, well, I found, I think it was 17, 1,800 pictures. Is that right? Something like that. I said, well, we don't need that many. <laughs> so in the fellowship hall today, uh, we've got a computer and a, um, a screen set up. So we'll, if you want to stay and watch all 1,800, uh, we've got them over there. And so they'll be on a slideshow rolling through um, next door. All right, if you are going to Children's Church, if you will follow uh, Miss Casey uh, right there in the back, she'll take you and Mr. Travis. And then if you're staying in, I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4. And we're going to pick up reading in verse 10. Proverbs chapter 4, and we're going to pick up in verse 10. We've been in a series just seeking the wisdom uh, that is from heaven, the wisdom of God. And so if you have your Bibles, Proverbs chapter 4, we're going to start reading in verse 10. If you don't have your Bibles, there's one, should be one right there around you somewhere if you want to use that. If not, the words will be on the screen. So stand with us. And just to honor the reading of God's Word. And I'm going to pick up in verse 10 and read down through the end of verse 19. You'll find these similar words. Hear, my son, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. Now keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and they drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would add your blessing to the reading of your word. Father, use it to penetrate our hearts and our minds. Lord, help us to... Father, help our hearts today truly see the beauty of Christ. And Lord, I'm convinced if we truly see just how great He is, Lord, it will change us from the inside out. So Lord, I pray that you would add your blessing to the reading of your word. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You guys go ahead and be seated. In 1979, ACDC released uh, a song. It was... The album was by the same title, still very much popular today, called Highway to Hell. Now, don't, some of you who are in your heathen's days, you probably know this song, you've heard this song, but uh, many of you, at least, I mean, it's even in movies and things like that, Highway to Hell. Now, I, I had to go, now, I've heard the song, but the only thing I ever knew was the chorus, and that's probably like many of you in the room, you, you, you've heard the song, but you don't remember the lyrics. 
And so I, I Googled the lyrics this, this week, and here's what it said. It speaks of a party time in hell where all your friends are. There's no stop signs, no speed limits. Satan pays your dues, and you are on the way to the promised land. Now that album, entitled Highway to Hell, 7 million copies it is sold. 7 million copies. So five years later, I don't know if this had anything to do with Highway to Hell or not, but five years later, NBC began airing a program that my grandparents used to watch called Highway to Heaven. Now, I'll, I'll, I'll let you raise your hands on this one. Any of you ever watched Highway to Heaven? Highway to Heaven with uh, Michael Landon and Victor French, which they also played on um, Little House on the Prairie. I know many of you have seen Little House on the Prairie, so they played on that one. Now, if you're under 40 in this room, you probably have no idea what Highway to Heaven is, and so you'll have to go home and Google it. But anyway, and so it's basically Michael Landon was an angel and he was on earth, and him and his friend, Victor French, they would go around, and they would help people out of, out of bad situations. I'm not, we, we wouldn't base our theology about how God works on that te- television show, but nevertheless, it was a good moral show that, you know, you could let your kids watch or something like that. But now that song and that television show, they give us the same two options of what we find here in Proverbs chapter 4. There is a path, or a highway, if you will, that leads to life. And there is also a highway that leads to destruction. Now, there are no other options. There's not a path that's just going to be a dead end. There's, not, there's, a, there's a highway to hell, and there's a highway to heaven. And the Bible says that every single one of us, we are walking down one of those two paths. It's, it's either or, not both and. Now, in Proverbs 4, wisdom and destruction, they are classified, they are, they are termed as a, either a way or a path. Now, if you've got your Bibles, you can just see this very clearly. Look in verse 11. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I've led you in the, the paths of uprightness. Verse 14. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of the evil. You see it in verse 18. The path of the righteous, verse 19, the way of the wicked. Then if you come down to verse 26, it says, ponder the path of your feet. And so there are only two paths. One is the way of wisdom, it leads to life. One is the way of foolishness, it leads to death. And every one of us are walking down one of those two paths. Are are you with me so far? Now, here's what I want to do. I've got three statements that I want to give to you this morning that I, you know, sometimes we as preachers, we always believe that what we receive from the Father is going to be good for you, but today especially. I mean, there's just no other way. I mean, no other way to say it. Today, I think this can really be life-changing in your life if you'll take what God says in His Word and if you'll apply it to your life, especially in the way of wisdom. And so three statements that, that speak to us in the area of wisdom. Number one, the path you walk reveals the person you follow. The path you walk in wisdom, it reveals not just the way you're walking, but it reveals the person you follow. Now, let me go ahead and say this at the very beginning. Nobody who believes even remotely in God will ever say, Oh, I believe in God, but I think I'd rather choose Satan and hell over God and heaven. Nobody ever says that, right? Nobody ever says that. So, Satan, now catch this, 
Satan is not interested in you following him. He's simply interested in you not following God with everything that you have. Are you with me? Satan's not interested to say, oh, he follows me. Satan is interested in you not following God with everything you have. I want you to think with me just for a moment. Go back to the very beginning, in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve are there in the Garden of Eden. God has given them everything that they need for life. He's given them everything they need for communion. They have a great relationship with Him, but He gives them one commandment. Don't eat of the tree. Don't eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, that one commandment for them is very much like the Ten Commandments is for us. It was for their own benefit, just like the Ten Commandments are for us. However, Satan comes on the scene. Now, notice what Satan says to them. Did God really say not to eat the fruit of this tree? Satan did not come to them and say, you know what, God's a liar. You don't need to follow him. If you follow me, it would be much better off for you. Satan was not interested in them following him. Satan was interested in in keeping them from giving God glory with everything that they had in their life. You see, what Satan wants to do is he wants to rob God of his glory by getting you not to be fully surrendered to Jesus. And so ultimately, here's what we say about Satan. For those who went to the men's conference, here's what you heard. Satan is a glory stealer. You do not have to bow down to Satan for God to be robbed of his glory. Lord. Now here's what Paul said Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to turn there. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to turn there. Ephesians chapter 2. Now listen to what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2. He said now you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Who's that? That is Satan. And so he says, you're following your own desires, you're following your own passions, you're, you're doing the things that you want to do, and you will never admit it, you, you're, you're not out to do this, but at the end of the day, your actions show that you are following Satan instead of God. And here's what it looks like. It's that old Frank Sinatra song. Many of you like to sing. Many of you like to live your life by it. I did it my way. And that's the way many of you like to live. You don't want to do it God's way. You just want to do it your way. And if Satan never gets you to not live your life fully for God, at the end of the day, he's won in your life. You've robbed God of his glory. And the person that you follow, that you're following, not self, eventually you have to trace it all the way back. But now there's a different path. There's a path that leads to life. It's the path of wisdom. It is the path that follows Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24, this is worth you noting. It says that Jesus is both the power of God and the wisdom of God. And so when you are walking down the path of wisdom, you are making a conscious decision every day of your life to say that you are going to follow Christ with every detail of your life. Now, a lot of times we approach the wisdom of God when we have a major decision that we need to make in our life. Uh, and there are several people who have, who have made this, this connection that have said something like this. The will of God for your life isn't a major decision that you make. Rather, it is a path that you follow. It's an everyday decision that you choose to live in your life. Tim Keller said it's more like marching. How many of you have been in the military? 
I, I knew Junior had. Joseph, anybody else been in the military? Left, right, left, right. Y'all with me? Left, right. That, that's what it is in the military. That's what wisdom is. You, you do the, the things that God has told you to do over and over and over in your life. And when you do that, you're walking down the right path and you're increasing in wisdom as you go. Now, here's the question. You ever seen somebody that maybe they've been living and following Christ for like 25 years? But 25 years later, they're kind of still at their same spiritual level. You ever seen anybody like that? I mean, they, they come to church, you know, they, they, they do this or they may do that, but you, you wouldn't say really say that they've really increased in their walk with Jesus any in the past 25 years. You know what's happened? They've made poor choices on a daily basis. They've, they've not taken the time to incorporate spiritual disciplines in their life that's going to help them increase in wisdom. On the other hand... Some of you, I, I bet you could think about somebody in your mind right now. Somebody who had come to faith in Christ maybe even two or three years ago, and in two or three years, their life has changed exponentially. It's not that this person has any more measure of the Spirit of God in their lives. It's that this person has taken the wisdom that God has given them and on a daily basis, left, right, left, right, he's incorporated the spiritual disciplines in his life that's helped him increase in wisdom. You, you see people like that? Because the path that you walk, it's revealing the person that you're following. Number two, your direction. This is, oh, this is such a good statement. Your direction, not your intention, determines your destination. Direction, not intention, determines your destination. Look down at verse 26. The writer of Proverbs says, ponder, think about. Think hard about this. Because the path that you own, the path that you're on right now, it's going to take you somewhere. It's not a dead end. It's going to take you somewhere. So you have to ask yourself this question. If I stay on this path, where am I going to end up? If I continue down the road that I'm walking down, where is this going to take me? Now, here's the, here's the deal. It doesn't matter if you don't want to go where this path is taking you. If you're walking down that path, it's going to take you to that destination. Think about it this way. Two weeks ago, Leanne and I had the privilege of, of going outside of Atlanta to Timothy Barnabas Pastors Conference with uh, Pastor Donnie Hunt. Two Sundays ago, we had our bags packed. We were ready to go, I promise you that. We had babysitters lined up for the children. We were excited to go get away and be under some really good teaching and preaching and good music and just to have our souls just really nourished in the Lord. Now, what if we would have packed our bags, got in a car, and, and we headed down 64 um, west, and we'd got to 95, and instead of going 95 south, we took 95 north. Would that have taken us to Atlanta? Absolutely not. Maybe Washington, D.C., but not Atlanta, Georgia. But wait a minute, didn't you intend to go to Atlanta? Absolutely. But it's our direction, not our intention, that's going to determine where our destination is. We get that you know, on traveling, don't we? That makes perfect sense to us when we, when we think about where we're going in an automobile, but that same truth applies to us spiritually. Because sometimes we find ourselves in a bad spot and we ask ourselves well how do I get here it's the daily decisions that you make along your walk 
had determined where you end up in life. Now, catch this. It does not matter if you intended to end up there or not. It's the direction that you're walking that determines where you end up. Now, here's how you see that played out in our culture. I've been in the ministry now since June 2006. I could count the number of marriages that I've officiated if I, if I took the time to do it, but I didn't really want to take the time to do that. But, you know, in all my years of officiating weddings, and, and I always require premarital counseling, in all my years of officiating weddings, you know what I've never had happen? I've never had a couple come to me and say, Pastor, I want you to marry us, but we intend to get divorced. I've never had it happen. You ever had anybody do that? I've never met a couple who was getting married with the intention that they were getting divorced in five, ten years. But it happens all the time, doesn't it? Well, what happens? It's the destination. That you, that it's, it's the direction that you're walking that determines your destination. Here's, here's how it plays out. So we want our marriages to last forever and ever, but you never go on dates after you're married. You, you never try to show love and affection for your spouse when you get married. And then one day you wake up and say, you know what, I don't know you anymore. I don't love you. Why? It wasn't your intention, but the direction and the decisions that you were making in your life, it led you to that place. How about this one? I, th- I bet every single parent in this room would make a statement like this. Man, I want my children, when they grow up, I want my children to know and to love Jesus with everything that they have. I, that's the heart of every parent. That's our intentions, but what's our direction? Do we model for them what that looks like? Do they see us reading our Bibles consistently? Do they ever see us praying? Do you ever take the time to do Bible studies with them? Because, catch this, you can intend for your children to love Jesus all you want, but you've got to be consistent, you've got to be intentional about you investing in their life. How about this one? I want to have, man, I want to have a great relationship with my children. I I intend that my my children and I, we're going to have great relationships. But then you go and work 60, 70, 80 hours a week. And at the end of the day, your children say, well, who are you? It's, it's your direction, not your intentions. I want to give generously. But I spend 100% of my paycheck on the things that I want. It's your direction, not your intentions. Look down at verse 14. For some of you, you've got a, you've got a choice in this matter right now. Verse 14 gives you a command. It says, do not enter the path of the wicked. Verse 15 says, avoid it because if you stay on it too, for too long, it's going to consume you. Don't get on it, turn away from it, pass on. Why? Because in verse 16 and 17, these people have no choice in this matter. That they are so consumed with the way of evil that they can't even lay their heads down at, at, and sleep at night unless they've done some type of wickedness or some type of violence. You can't live without walking that way it's consumed you. Then here's what Proverbs 19, verse 3. I read it in my quiet time this morning. I added added it to my sermon. Proverbs 19, verse 3 says that when the foolish person reaches this point, his heart rages against God. He blames God for where he is, and he says things like this. God, I was a good person. I don't deserve this. I did not intend to get to this point. And that's where it's this statement. It's, It's your direction, not your intention that determines your destination. I can say this because I'm qualified to say it. I've struggled with alcoholism. Most of you in this room know that. 
I, uh, I, I got falling down drunk first time when I was 12 years old. I've done just about everything in the book. I've never met an addict who said, man, when I grow up, I want to be an addict. Never met one. Nobody ever has that intention when they grow up. However, every addict can look back and see their poor choices led them to where they are. They hung around with the wrong friend. Almost always, every addiction begins with alcoholism. 10% who ever take the first drink of alcohol, is, of, of alcohol uh, becomes an alcoholic. And then, we, then you can progress from there. They never intend to become addicts, but the direction of their lives, when you go back and look at it, it determines where you're going. Not your intention. It's the famous last word. Oh, it'll never happen. I can control it. Stop anytime I want So if you're walking down a path and it's leading to destruction, you better get off before it's too late. Here's the final point. Number three. You'll never change your direction without first changing your heart. This is so true. Never change your direction without first changing your heart. Look at verse 23. Here's the wisdom of Solomon. Writing to his son, says, Now keep your heart with all village vigilance, if I can talk, or from it flow the springs of life. In the Bible, the heart is not just a muscle, right? It's not the heart. It's not just a muscle that pumps blood throughout your body. It's it's very much like us when we when we say in our culture, "Hey, put your heart and soul into something." We're saying it give, give you give it everything that you have, right? And so here's what we're saying: the the writer of Proverbs is saying, keep your heart, keep the sin of yourself. You could even translate it, keep your mind with everything that you have because from that it flows the springs of life. It's not a pool, it's, a springs, it's the springs of life. It's the center of our emotions. And God says, he's saying, unless you change your heart, your direction never will. Now think about this. Changing directions is not something you do by willpower. You've heard people say things like, uh, man, I, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I'm going to become a different person. I'm going to become a, a different a, a different me. You, you can't do that. You, you can't. With everything that I have under heaven, please hear me, you can't do that. I, I cannot begin to tell you the number of times that I, that I woke up on a Sunday or a Monday morning uh, from a, a crazy weekend and said, man, I was so stupid. I'm never doing that again. You know how long it would last? Until the next Friday. I had a great willpower, but it never worked. It's only when I surrendered my life to Jesus and my life changed, my heart changed, that things began to change. Look at verse 19. It speaks of that the path that leads to destruction is like deep darkness. I've never been there, but I've read before that, that you can be in such deep darkness that it so disorients you that you're... It's like the deepest loss that you can ever be, even to the point that it can bring depression and it can certainly bring anxiety in your in your life. You don't just get out of deep darkness. Something has to happen for you to to get out of deep darkness. You can look at it like this: you have to be rescued from deep darkness. And as you're on this path of destruction, it's a path that leads to death. The only way for you to get off. 
It's for Jesus to come and to rescue you. So you can't do it alone. You can, you can change your circumstances, but you'll never change your heart. Take someone who struggles with some type of an addiction. It's very possible for you to stop that addiction, but that does not change your heart. Here's what almost always happens. You give your addiction in a different area. Instead of going after whatever it is you're struggling with, you'll go after um, the approval of others. You'll go after money. You'll, you'll go after a new career. You'll, you'll go after maybe shopping or something along those lines. Now, you've stopped your addiction, but your life is not changed. You do not seek after the Lord. And you're still on a path that's going to lead to destruction. It used to bother me. My grandparents, some of the godliest people that I know of, used to always pray. I come from a family of alcoholics. Then when I got saved, my dad and my brother still struggled with alcoholism. And my grandmother used to always say, I pray all the time that God would just get them off of the alcohol. I raised them better than that. She did. They needed to get off the alcohol. But at the end of the day, getting off the alcohol was not going to determine whether or not they were going to spend eternity in heaven with Christ. Just changing, changing the behavior does not change the heart. The only way that your heart changes is for somebody from the outside to come in and to rescue you. And that's why we have Jesus. We're, we're just a few months uh, out from where we had just celebrated Christmas. That's why we celebrate Christmas, because we're saying that when, when Jesus was born of a virgin in, in, a, in a rented stall where the animals lay, he was coming for a purpose. He was coming on a divine rescue mission. We were lost. We were in darkness. We were facing death and hell and the grave. And Jesus came so that he could take us out of that darkness so that we could experience life. And in just a couple of weeks, we are going to, to celebrate the culmination of why he came when we celebrate Easter, when we celebrate his death and his resurrection for us. And when, when, when we celebrate that, what we're saying is, is that he completed the rescue mission. He came and, and he died that death for us. He entered into darkness, into the tomb. He entered into this place of death and he conquered that for us. And when he presented himself alive, in John 14, before he went through all that, he said, I am the way. I am the path that you need to follow. I am the truth. I'm the truth that, that no wisdom of this world can really comprehend. Don't listen to the wisdom of the world. Listen to me because I am truth. I am the life. There's no way that you'll ever experience true life unless you come by way of the cross. Unless you come by faith in Christ. He's the only Messiah that can conquer death, hell, and the grave for you. Tim Keller said it this, this way. He said, you'll never pull your heart off of one beauty unless you find a different that is far greater than your first view. I don't, I don't know where you are this morning, guys. I, I don't know what you set the affections of your heart on. I don't know what you desire more than anything else. But I know that when I look at the cross, when 
when I look at what Jesus did on my behalf, there's not a greater beauty that you could ever know in this life. If there were ever anything that would pull your heart off of one beauty and cause it to be focused on something, it would have to be Jesus. Only He is, is the one that can come and rescue you off of this path of deep darkness and change your heart. And here's what happens. You can write it down, I'll sign my name to it. When you surrender your heart to Jesus, you become the person you always wanted to be. You'll be the spouse you want to be. You'll be the parent you want to be. You'll be the friend and you'll be the neighbor that you want to be. Why? Because Jesus heart changes, it affects every other area of your life. Let me close with this. October 22nd, 2001 is the day that Jesus forever changed my life. That weekend prior to, to my salvation, it was just one of those crazy weekends. Over $500 wasted in the wind. That morning, I don't know if I've, I may have said this publicly, I don't know. That morning, I had to go to court and plead guilty to a, a DUI. So I leave the courthouse in Conway, South Carolina, and drive to my grandparents' house. Again, the godliest people I've ever known. And I don't know how to describe it to you, unless you've ever been there. What I'm about to say is this word. It was the Spirit of God that just began to prick my heart. It, it was like the weight of the world was on my life at that moment. It was, it was almost like I was beaten down, pressed down, like I had no way out. And the Spirit of God began to, to use this biblical word. It was quickening my heart. It was burdening my heart, telling me that I needed to change. And my grandmother drove me back to Conway, South Carolina, to meet with her pastor, and, and they're in a, in a small pastor's room at Langston Baptist Church on October the 22nd, 2001. I prayed and I asked Jesus Christ to be my Savior. Now, I came from an addicting background. I've never had another drop of alcohol. I, I've never had done another drug in my life, not unless it was prescribed by a doctor what happened? Well, my heart changed. That there was something in me that says, that's, that's no longer desirable. Rather, what I desired was to faithfully follow Christ. I, I, didn't get, I didn't surrender my life to Jesus to follow some rules or regulations. I surrendered my life to Jesus because I saw a Savior who was lovingly, willingly gave His life for me, and now I'm following Him. 
because he changed my heart, it affects every other area of my life. And some of you are in this room this morning. And your heart has never been changed by God. You may have turned over a new leaf. Uh, you may have made a commitment to try to be a better person. But your heart has never changed. And if your heart has never been changed, you're still heading down a path that is going to lead to your destruction. So this morning, for the love of God, you come give your heart to Jesus. That you come and experience life in a brand new way. I'm going to ask us just to bow our heads and close our eyes. I'm not going to ask you to repeat a prayer after me. Our praise team's going to come and they're going to sing. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you're in this room this morning, you've never given your heart to Jesus. I'm going to beg you. I'm going to plead with you that we stand and we sing. I want you to get out from where you're sitting. Get out from where you're standing. Boldly. I'm going to take you by the hand as a preacher today. Father, in Jesus' name, I ask that you would move in a mighty way during this time. Lord, you're calling from heaven. You're asking for the people that you love finally. Lord, be glorified during this time. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you stand.